Verse 1, but as for you, speak the things which are proper for sound doctrine, that the older men be sober, sober, reverent, temperate, sound in faith, in love and in patience. And the older women likewise, that they be reverent in behavior, not slanders, not given too much wine, teachers, please note with me of good things, that they admonish the young women to love their husband, to love their children, to be discreet and chaste, homemakers, good and obedient to their own husband, that the word of God may not be blasphemed. Likewise, exhort the young men to be sober-minded and in all things showing themselves to be a pattern of good works and doctrine showing integrity, reverence, and incorruptibility. Sound speech that cannot be condemned, that one who is an opponent may be ashamed, having nothing to say to you. Now exhort bondservants to be obedient to their own master, to be well-pleasing in all things, not answering back or not talking back, not pilfering or stealing, but showing all good fidelity that they may adorn the doctrine of God and our Savior in all things. For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live soberly, righteously or right on living, and godly in this present age, looking for the blessed hope and the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us that he might redeem us from every lawless deed and purify himself, his special own people, zealous for good works. Now speak these things, exhort, rebuke with all authority, and Titus, let no one despise you. Let's pray. Father, thank you for our night, Lord, for just your word, the gathering together of the body of Christ, be it here, Lord, or at home, or in their car. And so, Lord, that you would be glorified. Thank you, Lord, for a sweet time of worship. And Lord, now that we would draw close to you as we are encouraged by your word. For Lord, we love you and we thank you. In Jesus' name. And all God's people said, look over at chapter 1, verse 5, would you, so we can kind of get an understanding of the book of Titus once again. Paul the Apostle writing to Titus, who was on Crete, and he says, for this reason, Titus, I leave you in Crete, that you should set in order the things that are lacking and appoint elders in every city as I've commanded you. So Titus's role as a pastor was to set in order those things that were lacking on the Isle of Crete, and specifically leadership. But it was more than that. It was to set in order how to do or how to be a part of a local church. Well, that's where we pick it up in chapter 2, and we're going to get a running start as last week we were not in uh, Titus, I was gone. So he says, verse 1, But as for you, speak the things which are proper for sound doctrine. Again, Titus, it's important to teach doctrine. 
Uh, one of those things that isn't really taught today in the church is doctrine. You hear doctrine, people, all right, that's it, I'm out. Going somewhere else. But know with me what he wants to do with older men and women inside of the body of church. And we, we spent a little bit of time on this because it's important. He says that older men should be sober and reverent and temperate, sound in faith and love and in patience. These are the roles of the older men and women. Not to quarrel, as we'll see, not to get on every wind of doctrine that blows through the church, but to be serious as to pour into the next generation. Because he says in verse 3, that the older women do likewise that they might be reverent in behavior. Please note with me, not gossipers or slanderers, not given to much wine. Please, teachers of good things. Teaching who? That they would admonish the young women to love their husbands and to love their children. We talked about that in verse 4, the only place in the Bible where it tells wives to love their husband. Now, it wasn't agape, was it, ladies? Were you here? All right. It wasn't agape. It's the word we get phileo. It was to like your Pastor, you tell me to love my husband in agape. Now I got to like him too? Yes. <laughs> and the idea was to become friends. And, and it was interesting because I, when I got home uh, from that message, uh, my wife sat me down. No. No. Uh, the point was, remember, it was arranged marriages. And she goes, oh, I, I totally forgot about that was the culture. It wasn't today that you fell in love and woo. <laughs> no. It was an arranged marriage. There's a five-year-old and a five-year-old. Let's get them together. Let's write out a contract. And that's how it was. And you began to learn to love each other. And as we know, the Bible says love is an action word, but at some point, you got to like them too. <laughs> and Paul makes this point, not only uh, young women to like their husbands, but the same word is used to like your children. Now, that's a stretch, I know. But he says that as well in verse 4. Notice to continue with the young moms, to be discreet, Chase, homemakers, make it a good home, Paul says. Good and obedient, notice, to their own husbands, not to men in general. That the word of God may not be blasphemed. It's a testimony. Remember on Sunday we were going into how fear and worrying and anxiety is a bad testimony in the world in which we live in as believers? Well, so too this can be a bad testimony to other people. He says to be, notice, discreet and chaste, a homemaker, good and obedient to their own husband, that the word of God may not be blasphemed. Likewise, exhort the young men to be sober-minded. And we talked about how Paul wanted those young men not to just go off half-cocked and crazy as they do in their 20s, but to think about it and have these older men come alongside of them and really help them understand what their role in life is. I truly believe that our young men today in the United States of America are floundering. 
They don't have direction. They've been emasculated. They've been put down by every group all around. And so now they come in and they have no idea what they are supposed to do. That is the role of the older men inside of the church to come alongside the men and help them understand what the purpose of life is, to have responsibility, have somebody, <laughs> have somebody count on you. It's interesting what happens when you have responsibilities as a young man. Listen, if I don't do this or if I don't show up, this portion, this area is going to fail. Inside of the church, it's wonderful to have responsibility as a young man because people are counting on you to do that job. It gives you a sense of purpose because gaming is not purpose. Amen? Gaming, tweeting, eh. that is not your purpose in life. Your purpose in life is to be accountable to other people and to have somebody count on you. That's how Paul says the young men need to be sober-minded. They need to get to that place where, okay, I put, as Paul said, childish things aside. Are you ready for it? And I grew up. I don't know what age it was for you that you grew up. Maybe it was 25. Maybe it was 40. Maybe it was yesterday. But at some point, you grew up, and responsibility was placed upon you. And this is the role of the older men and women inside of the church. Well, that's where we pick it up tonight, verse 7. Notice, in all things, showing yourself to be a pattern of good works. In doctrine, showing integrity, reverence, and incorruptibility. He speaks to Titus, again, to the pastoral role as he is looking to these men to be leaders around Crete. And he says, in all things, how much is all things? In all things, a lot of things in your life, show yourself to be a pattern of good works. When people look at your life, is there a pattern of good works? Or they're like, you know, maybe every nine months something happens. No, a pattern is something that happens regularly. And Paul the Apostle wants Timothy to know, when you're you're choosing these men for leadership, make sure that you can see that there is a habitual pattern in their life of not only serving the Lord, but serving other people. The best thing that we could ever do, and I meant to get into that on Sunday, by the way, of worrying and being anxious, the best way to cure that is, is get into someone else's life, not get into their business. But to serve them, that is the best way to get yourself involved in the body of Christ is service, be it in children's ministry or in, listen, a security parking lot on a 105 day in the summertime. Woo, your crown's huge. Amen, this is South Carolina going up to Arrowwood, whatever whatever the Lord has for you. But uh, to have those patterns of good work. Notice, in doctrine, showing integrity. You know what's interesting about that? He continues, he says, reverent and incorruptibility. The incorruptibility here means that he is a sincere teacher who cannot be corrupted from the way of the truth. 
which means as a teacher of the word, he isn't pulled away easily from every wind of doctrine that blows in. He's stable. He knows what he believes. He knows it because he has studied. Are you ready for it? The word of God doesn't change. For 2,000 years, the Bible is still the Bible. It hasn't changed. God hasn't changed. And yet you listen to some teaching today, and it's just bonkers. That's the softest word I could use today. Paul wants Titus to know, hey, show integrity as you teach. How about this? Sound speech that can't be condemned. That one who is an opponent may be ashamed having nothing to say to you. Um, I don't want to get too much into politics tonight. I'm really going to keep myself. But I love the White House's press secretary. Anybody else? She's a definition of that. Let me read that verse again. By the way, she's a believer. Pray for her. She feels that that's a calling on her life to be there. I'm glad she is. (laughs) Sound speech that cannot be condemned, that one who is an opponent may be ashamed having, having nothing evil to say. I love how she gives facts. By the way, I love that binder. I want that binder that she's got there. And I'm going to pull that binder out. and It's wonderful. They attack her. And her response, what is it? They have nothing to say. That's the same thing as a believer we should have. We should have a pattern in our life that is consistent. That people know the consistency of our message of Jesus Christ. Sound speech. I just love the way that Paul says these things to Titus. He continues, Now exhort bondservants to be obedient to their own masters, to be well-pleasing in all things, not answering back. And there's a comma there, so let's get into this. Exhort bondservants. There is, at this point, uh, in the Roman Empire, and there are so many different versions of how many, but upwards of 25 million slaves at this point. Uh, some say a quarter, some say half of the Roman Empire were slaves. Regardless, there was slavery. I, I, I think it's kind of funny in our nation that we think we invented somehow slavery, and everybody is freaked out in our own nation about that, and yet slavery is nothing new. In fact, today, slavery continues, and I made this mention, about 30 countries, it's legal still today. Is it legal in our country? No. Thank you. Just waiting for someone to shout them out. No. (laughs) And it's no because of Christianity. Now, it may take a while. But if you do a study of slavery and where Christianity went in, eventually it was that which saw the collapse of slavery. Can't say that of Islam. Can't say that of Hinduism. But you can say that of Christianity. Where Christianity has went into, eventually that practice went away. 
Now, at this point, Paul knows that there is nothing he can do about slavery, but what he can do is have a good witness to those who are slaves. Note with me, he says, exhort bond servants to be obedient to their circle, the word own masters. Not to everybody. The slave wasn't to obey anyone else but his own masters. Well, apply it to employee and employer as well. But he says obedient to their own master. Now, why is Paul addressing this? Because, again, Christianity is something that's new. It's come into the Roman world. And now you've got slaves and masters coming to the same church where the slave may be an elder or the pastor teaching the master. What? What? <laughs> what? So Paul needs to address all of this. And listen, he will go on to tell us, listen, wherever you are in life, just stay there. Let the Lord handle it. If your master wants to let you go, wonderful, and be free. But if not, here are the guidelines. And again, this is what's going to set them apart from everybody else, that they will be obedient to their own master to be well-pleasing in all things not answering back. They were to talk back. They were to be well-pleasing. They were to be the best slaves. They were, both, they were supposed to be the best employee on the job site. So let's apply this to our, our modern-day United States of America. Exhort employees to be obedient to their bosses. Do you see that? That's how we are to be as followers of Christ, to be obedient. Yeah, but what if he's a jerk? Probably. Isn't that going to be a pretty high probability that he might be? Does that mean you're not supposed to be obedient? We, we live in a world of conditions, don't we? Well, if they're good, we'll be good. If they pay me right, I'll be right. That's not what the Bible says. In fact, it says just the opposite of that. It says, listen, you have, a, <laughs> you have a greater responsibility. You have a boss in heaven. And it is a responsibility to that boss in heaven, to Jesus Christ, to be an exceptional employee. Listen, let God work it out. The Lord knows he might be a jerk, he might be treating you bad. Let the Lord handle it. Lord, would you just, I just pray your blessing upon my boss? Yes. To heap hot coals on them. My favorite verse in the Bible. Lord, do your will to my boss. Well, maybe you doing what God has called you to do in the midst of him being not so nice to you will be a great example. Do good to those who spitefully treat you. We hate that verse, don't we? Love your enemy. Do good to those. Well, it's the same thing with our boss. I'm just going to quit. Why? Maybe God wants you to stay there. Maybe he wants you to endure hardship. Maybe he's trying to teach you something. We love to just flee at the drop of a hat when it gets tough. 
Maybe God wants you right there as a testimony to that boss, to that corporation. I don't know, but let's ask God. Let's not just do what the world says. So he says that we would be obedient to our own masters to be well-pleasing in all things, even when it's not fair. (laughs) What? Yes, even when it's not fair. Notice not answering back. The best thing that you can do as an employee, are you ready for it? Is shut thy mouth. How many of you have a hard time with that? Raise your hand. It's church. Say it. Raise it up high. Thank you. You have a hard time keeping your mouth closed? As a believer, it's a requirement. How about that? I didn't see that in the fine print when I accepted Jesus Christ. (laughs) It's true. The best thing that you can do to be an example, not just to the boss, but to who else? The other employees. How about the customers? No show of hands. How many of you have had this happen? Your boss chastised you in front of a customer. No one in the room, I know. How does that make you feel? And yet, the Bible says keep your mouth closed. Let the Lord handle it. We love to get involved where it's God's job. Let him deal with it. Listen, can I, can I tell you a secret? You'll be blessed. You'll be on your way home, and the Holy Spirit will pour upon you, and you won't even think of your boss that day. It's wonderful what God can do. It's a peace that passes all understanding after work. It's somewhere in the Bible. He says, not answering back. The next thing is specific to their time, and I know this never happens here in America, not pilfering. Anybody know what the word pilfering means? Stealing. Why doesn't it say stealing? I don't know. (laughs) That's just the old word. Again, this type of offense was so very common in the ancient world that sometimes the words servant and thief were used interchangeable. (laughs) So to be a servant was to be known as a thief. How about that? It was assumed that servants would steal from their masters in some way. It was assumed that that would take place. Again, the word pilfering signifies not only stealing, but embezzling another's property or keeping back a a part of the price or any commodity sold on the master's account. You can imagine the the servant going down and picking up whatever from the docks, right? And he was supposed to pick up a hundred of whatever, but when he got to the master's house, somehow there's only 90. And he takes that 10 and sells it on the side. It was very, very common of the day that servants equaled thieves. So what's the problem? (laughs) Well, now we've got Christian slaves. And Paul, by the Holy Spirit, doesn't want that that label to now be on the Christian slaves. So he says, in very definite terms, don't pilfer, don't steal. 
but showing all good fidelity. That means having a good conscience, don't lie, take care of your master's things. How, how should we be? Go back and read Joseph in Genesis. Think about it. He was sold into slavery in Potiphar's house. And the Bible says everything that Joseph did, he did right. God blessed that. Blessed Potiphar's house. And then when he was in charge of the prison, it went well with him there. He left it to the Lord. Because he was a good testimony. Note with me, he didn't pilfer, but he showed good fidelity. Why? that they may adorn the doctrine of God, our Savior, in all things. Translated, it's a good testimony. It's a good testimony to everybody else, and it's a good testimony to your boss. By the way, so a little bit of time has to go by by the time uh, Paul writes these letters, and eventually... Slaves sold on the market that were believers went for a higher price. That's the result. So when they knew that there was a Christian being sold on the market, they knew that they would buy that servant. It would cost them more, but in the end, it wouldn't because that servant would not steal. He wouldn't cheat. He wouldn't lie. He wouldn't take his master's goods. It was worth all the amount of money to buy that Christian slave. It took a couple of years for that as Christians to hear what God was wanting for them. Interesting, isn't it? That eventually Christian slaves were worth more. Mm Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Eleven. He says, for the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men. Now, in the midst of Paul kind of telling us what to do inside of the church, Titus, this is what I want you to learn. He stops and blows our mind. Are you ready for it? He says, Christ is that salvation that has appeared to men. Again, grace. Paul was the apostle of grace. John was the apostle of love. But Paul was the, he was the apostle of grace. Paul knew what grace was like in his own life because he was so zealous to kill the Christians and to have them blaspheme the name of Jesus that Jesus would even allow him to be a part of the kingdom of God. Paul knew that and he took that to heart. Again, God's grace appeared when the Lord Jesus visited our planet and especially when he gave himself for our sins. He was the substitutional work that that is not only sufficient for payment for God, but as we will see, it is our hope that is to come. Guys, notice with me, there is no suggestion here or elsewhere in the Bible that everyone will be saved at last. That's not what it says. Let's read. For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to how many men? Oh, that's important because there are a lot of people who say, well, everyone will be saved. Nah, that's not what it says. Universal salvation is a lie of the devil. 
It's not true. Not everyone will be saved. Also, this does not speak against those who say only a chosen few will be saved. Notice, all men, all men, are you ready for it, are granted entry into heaven. Listen to this statement. All men, all women are granted entry into heaven if they accept Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. That's it. The work of Jesus here in this verse tells us that the work upon the cross was sufficient for everyone to come, but not everybody does come. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes, that's our part, in him will have eternal life. For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men. Teaching us, notice what grace does. Grace does a couple of things. Grace does now, it teaches us that we should deny ungodliness and worldly lust. Grace does that. Because I don't deserve to go to heaven, but I'm going to heaven because of Jesus Christ, payment on the cross. Because of that, I need to then, notice, deny ungodly living and worldly lust. Last time we were together, we described the Cretans and their island and the Romans and the Greek world and how debase it was as a people. And now Paul is speaking to this group and he says, listen, because Jesus Christ died and because of that grace, we as followers of Jesus need to stop doing what we used to do. Just stop it. Don't be like the world. Deny. You know what deny means? Are ready for it? Deny. Shocking, isn't it? What do athletes do when they're preparing for an Olympic game? They deny themselves certain things. I think it's a lot of ice cream, <laughs> except if you're a sumo wrestler. You'll get that on the way home. So they deny themselves because they're preparing for something great. We, because of the grace and the cross, need to start denying ourselves, denying not only ungodliness, but worldly lust. Whatever the world is lusting after, we should not do that. Why? Because it's a testimony. It's a testimony. Ready? It's a testimony. On Sunday, we talked about worrying and anxiety, how, again, that's a bad testimony. We're living in a world of uncertainty and all kinds of craziness, but if we as believers are wrapped up in the same hysterical view of the world, how in the world are we a testimony to to anybody? Because we're going to talk about hope in a minute. As a believer, I have hope, not in government, not in the CDC, not in the WHO, not in the UN, certainly not in Congress, or anything else, I have hope in the one that is coming, 
Notice with me. It is Jesus in verse 13, but I'm not done with verse 12. Teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust, that we should live soberly, righteously, that means right on living, and godly in this present day. It's just simple. Now, it's simple as the definition, but I can't do that unless the Holy Spirit is inside of me. I, I can't live this life on my own merit, on my own willpower. How many of you have done that and you get, you've just had enough of that? You're like, I can't just keep doing it like Paul the Pharisee. I need the Holy Spirit's power in my life so that I would live soberly, righteously, and godly. Why? Because in this present age, like in Paul's present age, Christians stood out. They don't look like the rest of the world. They stood out. Paul says, stand out in your present age. Now, notice what grace also does. Grace looks for the blessed hope and glorious appearing of our great God and Savior of Jesus Christ. Now, what's interesting, we're going to get into this, but looking for the blessed hope and the glorious appearing in the Greek is the same. So this phrase that we use inside of the church, the blessed hope, is the rapture of the church. That's what Paul is going on to describe for us. So grace teaches us to deny not only worldly lust, but ungodliness. Grace also teaches us to live soberly, righteously, and godly. And grace focuses our attention not on man, but on the hope of Jesus. Amen? Let's do that again. For the radio people. Our hope is in Jesus. Amen? Amen. Not in anything else. Not in a cure for COVID, none of that. It is a hope in Jesus Christ. He says, looking for, and by the way, that's exactly what it means, looking for, longing for the blessed hope and glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Grace teaches us to expect and prepare for the blessed hope. The hope is not heaven or glory, but it's Jesus himself. That's the hope that we have. Listen, heaven will be great. I'm not hoping in heaven. I'm hoping in Jesus. Now, he just happens to be taking us there, right? Please note with me, looking for, longing for the blessed hope. So the blessed hope is the rapture of the church to remove us from this planet Earth. By the way, it says our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. There are groups of people out there who say the Bible doesn't say Jesus Christ is God. I'll let let the helicopter go by. Is that an osprey? Ooh, I love that helicopter. We're not being attacked, people. Please note with me, God... Savior Jesus Christ, they're tied together. What did Paul do say? Jesus Christ is God. Yet there'll be people out there say, no, the Bible doesn't say that. Sure does. Appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. 
please note with me, verse 14, who gave himself, God gave himself, shockingly, for us. <laughs> I don't know about you, but I'm looking at the world, and I've been looking at the world for 6,000 years in history, and I'm pretty sure I would not be giving myself for it. Amen. Yet God, yet God. Paul uses that word but all the time, but God. Anytime you see but God, glorious is coming right after it. But God, who gave himself for us, that he might redeem or buy out of the slave market. Isn't that wonderful that he's using those analogies that they all know? They know what it's like to be bought out of the slave market. Redeem us from every lawless deed and purify himself for his own special people, zealous for good works. Oh, I love that verse. Who gave himself for us that he might redeem. Redemption means, again, to be bought out of slavery by paying the ransom. By the way, later on in history, Christians will go to slave markets and use funds to buy slaves out of the slave market and set them free. Christians did that. Amen? (laughs) No other religions did that. Christians did that. They gathered money together to buy slaves and set them free. He gave himself for us. Jesus did that we might be bought out of the slave market of sin. Notice, how much is every lawless deed? There is nothing that you have done. People are listening to us on the radio. I hope you're in your car right now. You're on YouTube or Facebook. You're listening and you're thinking, there's no way God can accept me. This verse tells you that he can save you from any lawless deed and purify himself for for his own special people. No matter what you've done, Jesus paid for that upon the cross. That's the best news. Who gave himself for us that he might redeem us from every lawless deed and purify for himself his own special people. Now, I don't want to go too far on the out on this limb. But in the Old Testament, God described Israel, the Father did, Israel as his chosen people. And it is. And it still is. It's not like the New Testament and then, no, we stop with the Old Testament in Israel because there are people who teach that. It's called replacement theology. That God stops and now he's dealing with the church. Oh, he is but he's still going to deal with Israel. Romans describes that in great detail. But God called Israel his special people, the apple of his eye. Amen? I'm glad he did. I have zero problem with that. But when we get to Jesus in the New Testament, now that Jesus has fulfilled all the law and the prophets, he has for us his bride. There is a difference in the In the Bible, we've got the chosen Jewish nation and we have the bride of Christ. Those are two different groups of people. Note with me that Jesus has purified his bride for his own special people. Are are there going to be different groups in heaven? Well, yes and no. (laughs) Yes and no. Did that make sense to everybody? 
there's the bride of Christ. Yes, that's the church. That's what we're living in. Also, God is dealing with and has dealt with his apple of his eye, the Jewish nation. And he will continue to deal with that Jewish nation. And when that that blessed hope happens, he will redeal with Israel. And he will save the Jews. We get bleacher seats in heaven having pulled pork, by the way. The marriage supper of the Lamb. It'll be his. Is not a bride special to a man? Isn't it wonderful, men? When you saw your bride coming up that aisle, was she not special to you? And weren't you standing there thinking, man, I went way above my. Where I was, I shot way above. It was special. So too. I'm amazed that we're this special to Jesus because I'm looking around and... (laughs) Notice, zealous for good works. God wants you to do good, good works. Not for salvation, but because you love him. A husband and wife should want to bless each other. That's natural. That's God-given. I want to do something special for my bride. I want to take care of my bride. The best thing I can do is get my kids out of the house with me (laughs) in a different state. (laughs) It's natural to do that. Because of the love that you have. That's, it's as zealous for good works. God wants us to do that. And then he just ends there in verse 15 and he says, uh, not Timothy, uh, Titus, speak these things. Which means, whatever I just read to you, whatever I spoke to you, speak them. Exhort and rebuke with all authority. Titus, I have given you the authority as the pastor on Crete, the senior pastor, to (laughs) rebuke with all apostolic authority that you need, and I'm going to back you up. I I love that. And by the way, uh, (laughs) let no one despise you. Why does he put that in? Because where is he living? He's living in Crete. Remember what they said about Cretans? They're gluttons and they're lazy and liars. He says, don't let anybody despise you. Well, next week, read ahead. (laughs) Remind them to be subject to rulers and authority, to obey and to be ready for every good work. Oh, we're going to have a little fun with that one. Read ahead chapter 3 of Titus for next time. Let's pray. Father, thank you again. For your servant Titus and your servant Paul, 2,000 years later, Lord, we're, re- we're reading and applying and it just comes inside of our heart. Lord, it's so precious. Lord, thank you. And we do long and look for the blessed hope, the removal of the church, your special people. Lord, we just pray for our nation. We Pray for COVID and doctors and people who know more than we do. 
But Lord, that this, this nation would have common sense once again. Not hysteria, not fear, common sense. Lord, thank you that you give us that kind of mind. You give us a reasoning mind. Come let us reason together, Isaiah says. Thank you, Lord, for those serving. And we thank you, Lord, so much for your word and for that cross and that you redeemed us and bought us out of the slave market of sin. Thank you, Lord. We love you and we, we long for that blessed hope, the glorious appearing of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Lord, bless those who can't be with us. Father, physical ailments, that you would just touch their body and that you would be with them. Come, Lord Jesus, so very soon. We do this all in your precious and holy name, Jesus Christ. Amen. Let's stand.